0: welcome to Indefensible Inc. Broadcasting from the Watcher's Citadel in the blue area of uh, Wisconsin, I'm your host, Justin Zydock. This is part two of a conversation I had with original Indefensible Inc. co-host Ryan McClure about continuity and canon, and how we engage with these concepts as comics fans. If you haven't listened to part one, obviously I suggest you start there, but just to refresh your memory, last time we talked about the upsides and downsides to having this kind of maintained canon as well as what makes comics different from other long-running narratives in other media. Before we dive back into it, uh, I'm just going to take a moment here real quick. Ryan and I recorded our conversation some time ago, but as I'm recording this intro and when this will be released, last week Kevin Conroy passed away. This hit me pretty hard, as you can expect. Uh, Batman the Animated Series was a pretty formative show for me, something I watched a lot, something I revisit a lot today. I probably don't need to explain what he brought to the role. Uh, you know, Many people write about this. You yourself, I'm sure, uh, know, know this. But I will say one thing that brings me some comfort is that I think he was somebody who knew that he was appreciated. You know, uh, not everybody knows this about themselves. <laughs> you know, uh, there is an episode of Batman the Animated Series that is explicitly about this. But like he went to enough conventions and did enough interviews and got asked to reprise the role so many times in so many contexts and just fairly recently even, that I think he must have understood what he meant to multiple generations of fans. You know, a lot of actors go to cons and do signings and it's nice, but he's somebody that I think fans went out of their way to say, you know, this is not just a nostalgia thing or that I'm filling out my autograph collection or I wanted to get the selfie, but like truly you are possibly the best person who has ever done this. And I know he posted a video about his appreciation for the response that he got to the uh, autobiographical story that he did in the Pride special from DC earlier this year. Um, I'm assuming you know about this as well, but if you don't look it up, uh, seriously, if you, if, you, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Um, I'm just glad that he got to hear that sort of thing in his lifetime all the time, you know? Anyway, uh, on with the show.
1: The other thing about continuity that and canon that I think can be a little bit, I guess, limiting is the treatment of finality and death. Uh, so on the one hand, you have the cheapening of death in the comics where if Superman dies, Wolverine dies, you know that just because they need to keep these popular characters going, eventually they're going to bring them back. Um, yeah. So it's like these changes that are not changes and are just used to drum up sales or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, and this reminds me of a forward that Ellen Moore wrote to the dark returns for one edition where he talks about how comic characters are not given the ending in the way that your mythological heroes like King Arthur and Robin hood are. And that makes their stories unsatisfying in a certain way, which I, to a certain extent, I, I agree with. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I think there was some backlash to the ending of The Dark Knight Rises because Batman was quitting being Batman and people were like, oh, that's not sticking with the core of the character being obsessive. But on the other hand, I did like the way that it gave Batman an ending in a way that we usually don't see. Yeah, Uh, although it seems like they're they're now milking that whole old man Wolverine or old man Logan or old woman uh, Harley Quinn approach. (laughs) So they're kind of expanding into that area and being like, oh, yeah, we can we can do this Dark Knight Returns thing with Moon Knight or Squirrel Girl, that sort of thing. (laughs) So um, I'm sure every character will get some sort of ending eventually, but it took a while for them to come around to that.
0: Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to Old Man Speedball. And <laughs> yes. Seeing where he ends up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just curious.
1: Getting back to the idea of of changing continuity with, with retcons or uh, I think retroactive continuity is the the full term. Has there been a retcon that you think is actually successful?
0: Yeah. So one. I think probably the go-to example that I would have for this is, and not 100%, but John Burns' Man of Steel reboot for Superman. Because I feel like, I mean, a lot of that stuff has been reversed and a lot of the details like Krypton isn't like a sterile, everybody's wearing a total body sock all the time and there's no emotion or whatever. But like one of the big things is like the Lex Luthor in that where he's, you know, instead of being a mad scientist who's in and out of prison, that he's like this sort of untouchable businessman. That has really stuck in the comics. Like even when they sort of have Luthor go to prison or you know become more of an active supervillain, there's still that expectation that like oh yes, also he is a successful billionaire who is sometimes untouchable. Yeah, I think like when you make a new version of Superman, I think it's I think it's almost expected now that like Lex Luthor is either a billionaire or billionaire adjacent in some way. So I think that's I think that's that's a one that like. As much as Superman tends to sort of revert to like the sort of '60s mean in a lot of ways when you try to change continuity, I think like Businessman Luthor is here to say to stay. I think like the sort of revised version of Lois Lane, who's actually like a good reporter and not just a, you know, a snooping girl. Like she, is. Yeah. like in the '60s, treated like this snooping girl who's always trying to figure out his his secret identity and like, right. I think I think her becoming like a partner. For Clark and like being, you know, being often and currently again married, that seems like that's that's sticking around. So I I think I think the think that a lot of those like more humanistic Superman changes have really I mean, even just the, just the idea that like he is a Kansas farm boy and not sort of like the slightly aloof Silver Age guy like in his Arctic fortress of solitude. You know.
1: Yeah, I was I was trying to think about this, and I I agree that. I I did like Man of Steel and I think Batman year one was uh, still holds up pretty well. And uh, it it was harder for me to think of any instances where it was just about correcting like an error that was successful. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think if you go into it with just wanting to tell a slightly new story with more developed or, newer versions of characters that that seems like the better way to go than just as, as you were alluding to with that Brian Michael Bendis comment, then writing comics about comics and continuity errors. So
0: even when I, when I like those, because I, I do like, you know, like I said, playing the game of continuity and stuff, Mm -hmm. I would sort of like, I think I maybe am more like sort of appreciate those than actually like, this was totally worth my, my two to two to four bucks or whatever.
1: Right. What about Sandman and uh, Norman Osborn being related because they have the same <laughs> hair? Is that, did you think it's, that was necessary? To it was to
0: it was it was vital for my understanding of these characters, okay. and now I feel like I'm a, I'm a hundred percent more on board with them being having a shared a great grandmother or whatever, whatever it was. That was that was important to do. Okay. I think so. One interesting thing about comics and this whole continuity thing is like now that I think that like most of the general populace's interaction with superheroes is in movies like the MCU and stuff, how that sort of affects the comics or reflects back on them. Because like Mm -hmm. a lot of the elements from the MCU have been ported back into comics. Like Tony Stark has now sort of always been Robert Downey Jr., you know, like Mm -hmm. because like when you read like a, a, you know, 60s or 70s or an 80s or a 90s. Tony Stark, he's not that guy, but if you do a flashback set during that night, now he has to be that sort of snarky dude, you know? Yeah. And I also, I recently bought the, um, the original Claremont Byrne Star-Lord story from, I think it was like 1976 or 1978 or somewhere in there. And like, I don't think any of that can be in canon because in this story, he's sort of this like grim swashbuckler and he wears, you know, sort of a superhero-y suit. But in current comics, I think that Star-Lord is and always has been like Chris Pratt, Adobe Dude, like in 70s AM Gold, you know? Yeah. Like none of that is in the original. There's no, well, especially because like that would have been music that was popular at the time, I guess. <laughs> and the story was coming out in the 70s. Yeah. Like that's none of that is in there. But like, I think if you do a flashback about Star-Lord's origins, it contains, you know, having that mixtape or whatever. Right.
1: And it is weird. Uh... Because I, th- I think we've talked about this before where they – Marvel, at least uh, starting with like the X-Men and Spider-Man movies, they would try to make the comic books fit what was showing up on the screens, mm-hmm. drive up sales. And I think you've talked about how that really hasn't hasn't panned out in terms of sales or anything. But they yeah. keep coming back to the well of like, okay, we got to make the comics reflect the movies or tie them in at least visually or with the same, like, storyline titles to the movies.
0: I remember one, one, uh, one prominent example is when the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies came out and he had organic webbing. They retrofitted, like, Peter Parker in the comics having organic webbing, but he got it huh. in the storyline where, like, he meets some sort of spider queen creature and she, like, puts... He wants to mate with him and, like, he goes into <laughs> a cocoon and he comes out of it with organic webbing and, he, and he, but also he can talk to spiders and, like... So it's like... <laughs> If, if the whole point of this is, like, people recognize from the movies that he has webs that just come out of his wrists, this was uh-huh. such an unintuitive and, like, it's, <laughs> it's going to, like, require a whole bunch of explanation about, like, well, there is this spider creature. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just, like, you know, maybe it would have been better if you just have him wake up and go, like, oh, these come out of my wrists now. I guess this is, <laughs> this is happening now. And I'll never mention again that I used to have to build these things with my <laughs> with my scientific expertise. Oh, comics! <laughs> but you know, I talking about how I have like my things that I have a trouble letting go of, like my extremely uh, my hill that I die on, my extreme toxic nerd thing. Um, is and I'm sorry to ruffle any feathers here, but it's Infinity Gems, not Infinity Stones. <laughs> I, think, I think I think they say Infinity Stones in the comics now, and as somebody who was there for Infinity Gauntlet, it's Infinity Gems. <laughs> and if you say Infinity Stones, I will. I will shut you down right, right
1: there. Yeah, well, I, this, I this is my gatekeeping. I do remember the footage from your protests outside of the uh, theater showing Endgame. Right? Right. You were the lone person with a sandwich board <laughs> sign: Gems, not stones." So. Right. I am just curious. What is there something about the word
0: uh, that you prefer, or or is it just like? A get reaction. Yeah, I mean I I could probably intellectual I could probably attempt to intellectualize it by saying like, <laughs> oh you know, like a gem in, in, you know implies something that is deliberate and it's you know a thing, whereas a stone is just like stone means you know, like you think of stone as a rock. Yeah,
1: but really it's no. it's
0: just that I'm used to, it's really hundred percent used to gems. You say stones and it's like okay, I guess you made the change for a movie, but you put it back into the comics and it's like, no wait, I can I can show you Richard saying the infinity gems. Mm-hmm. So again, like I, I say, totally, totally my problem, totally my hill to die on Actual people who say Infinity Stones, I welcome you to the Comics Collective, but I will just be <laughs> off in the corner, you know, with that sandwich board.
1: <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I think I'm Team Gems on this one, for and I, I didn't really have a strong opinion beforehand, but I think you make sense. So
0: <laughs> now we are two. Yes. <laughs>
1: and then there's the other issue with continuity and its adaptation into other media where now you have people accusing the MCU of having continuity that's getting to be as impenetrable as the comics um mm-hmm. which i think varies depending on your your interest in the various tv shows and that sort of thing but i i can definitely see that that perspective mm mm-hmm. I did think it was interesting the way that two of the more recent MCU movies handle canon and they're going to be spoilers for No Way Home, Spider-Man No Way Home and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Just a heads up. But I thought it was a very comic booky thing to do to kind of nod to parts of the canon that that we like and then maybe ignore the other elements. Like Patrick Stewart in x-men he was in a couple of good x-men movies but then we don't really <laughs> want to think about x3 anymore or you know spider-man 3 has its defenders but uh i'm not one of them really so it's like you're nodding to these adaptations that are now sort of canon in the mcu in in a certain way but you can ignore the stuff that you don't really care for if that makes sense
0: yeah and like they, they you bring electro back from amazing spider-man 2 but mm-hmm. he looks a little more like electro unless like the blue guy that everybody hated immediately <laughs> when, they, when they saw the pictures online yeah yeah and you can make fun of how bad the, the
1: second movie was <laughs> was supposed to be uh, I, I never ended up watching it full disclosure but I I heard it was not great.
0: I think it's probably the worst one overall, but I think actually like I prefer it to the first Amazing Spider-Man because I barely remember watching the first Amazing Spider-Man. Like it was, Uh uh, whereas like like Amazing Spider-Man 2, really terrible parts, but there's also some like, well, I remember Paul Giamatti doing a Russian accent as the rhino. I'll never forget that. On my deathbed, that'll be, not the last thing that I think about, like like the, the, you know, the, the eighth from last thing that I think about in my brain is it's, (laughs) <laughs> it's going out. Yeah, yeah. Garrowing vision of things to come.
1: And I also wonder if there has been a sort of change in the way that adaptations approach superhero comics in terms of continuity and canon. I, I feel like, and this, I think this was something that was discussed on the Blank Check episode where they discussed the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. I feel like at first there was a lot of intense gatekeeping from the fans in terms of demanding really direct adaptations of the comics because fans didn't trust the studios because they hadn't really delivered any good comic book movies maybe aside from one or two superman movies up to that point mm-hmm. so i think you know there are people who were saying oh the joker has to have a long face and look offbeat and so we can't have heath ledger right and stuff like that but I, I sort of feel like now there is more trust because a the studios are pandering to <laughs> pretty hard to the fans and nerds um but there's more of an understanding that you can adapt things you can change miss marvel's powers for example and and still stay true to the the core of the character uh, do you think that's That's true in terms of the general fan uh, feelings towards adaptations of, of Canon.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think maybe even the fact that now the whole multiverse thing is like an in universe explanation for some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I think there is less of the sense of like, there is a practical sense in being like upset or unhappy when something happens in a movie that you don't like, because it's like, well, if people like this, this is going to be the way that it is from now on. So like if, if, if organic webbing had been decided to be like, this is central to the new understanding of the character, it would have been that forever, you know? Yeah. And then like some sub- subsequent movies have brought back the mechanical web shooters. It's like, okay, well this is for this movie. That's a thing. And we, we can all accept that. And it doesn't, it hasn't ruined everything forever. Whereas like, yeah, like I sort of prefer like the old Batman, the animated series, Harley Quinn, and now that like mm-hmm. this, this, sort of like the new movie Harley Quinn is very popular. Like the Batman the animated series version is probably never coming back, you know? right? And again, like that's that's the thing that I don't begrudge anybody liking new Harley Quinn better because this is a character that's speaking to people and it's popular. And I would never say you have to turn it back to a way the way that it was thirty years ago because I <laughs> because I say so. Yeah, but it is just a thing of like, oh, okay, well, like that version of the character is is probably gone. And
1: yeah, I think that that does put it into perspective a little bit more that it. It can be about losing something and not just being overly demanding. And I'm just curious if you have a perception of what the attitudes towards comics are from the movie fans in your life. Like, I know your brother is not or wasn't a comics fan initially
0: mm-hmm. and
1: got into it through the movies. And I have friends that were more movies and and growing up with the animated series. Uh, were the ways that they got into these characters Mm -hmm. and i don't know that many of them have made the leap to comics regularly but i i'm kind of surprised because I, i will get questions about oh what was this like in the comics um as if you know that that still has some kind of weight or significance just how they how it was first depicted
0: yeah it's funny because like for as much as we talk about maybe comics are confusing and stuff i think a lot of it is just like availability because part of it is that like you can't even when you have like now that everything is in trade there's just so many trades so like it's the same yeah. it's the same problem again just in more a more expensive package that there's been 400 more issues of spider-man since the first sam raimi movie came out or something yeah but yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's it's driving people back to the comics. But it is sort of funny that every time like a new character appears in the MCU, they talk about like, well, who is was who this in the in the comics? Like you like you said, like it doesn't matter anymore.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. like when Agatha Harkness shows up in Wandavision, again spoilers, but you probably like, I would be impressed if you hadn't heard of this yeah, by now. But, I'm like, all when, I, when Agatha Harkness shows up in Wandavision, like this character has like really very little connection to what this character was in the comics yeah if that character was named something totally different and as a witch you wouldn't be like well that's weird that they didn't call her agatha harkness it's just like Mm -hmm. they use a name that like i will recognize i'll go like oh i see it i know who that is yeah it at some point i just like using names for just because that'll trigger the dopamine in my in you know in in the fan brain right or like in um the new Spider-Man movies. Peter's friend is named Ned, with the implication that that's Ned Leeds, and people are like, "Well, is he going to become the Hobgoblin because Ned Leeds right. was, or you know, <laughs> framed for being the Hobgoblin at least?" Because I know somebody's going to say, "Well, Ned Leeds was never the Hobgoblin." Continuity, folks. <laughs> but no, like people are like, "Oh, was, was he going to be the Hobgoblin in the movies?" And it's like I can't imagine that that was on anybody's mind. Mm-hmm. I think it was just like we have the character who is called Peter's friend in the script. What should we call that? And it's like, well, here's a name that's in the comics. Yeah. Why don't we use this instead of just calling him something else? But then, like, because there is such a strong, like, fan feedback tube reaction, I almost wonder if, like, somebody at Marvel is thinking, like, well, maybe he should be the hobgoblin because people wouldn't see it coming or they would yeah. see it coming and that will trigger the dopamine. <laughs> I don't know. I'm maybe, maybe I've gotten off off topic of what your, <laughs> what your initial question was, but I oh, don't know. It's, <laughs>
1: I think it's all—it's all part of the same continuity, the same grand narrative.
0: It's all a rich tapestry.
1: But yeah, I—I I, I have experienced some personal growth in that. <laughs> I'm now to the point where I can see adaptations as different things, and not be like it was this way in the comics. Because I—I went into the first Christopher Nolan movie expecting like a very close adaptation of batman year one more or less and was disappointed the first time i saw it for that reason and then kind of had to accept that there are different reasons for changing things when you adapt it to the screen um Mm -hmm. but i will say, say i still i'm not crazy about the example you gave where you just kind of take a character name and attach it to somebody who has a completely different personality yeah and Function just to to make it somebody who's there. It's like in the comics. I, I think just create a new character
0: at that point. Yeah, all of like Peter's classmates have like sort of vaguely Spider-Man canon-related names and stuff, and it's like mm-hmm. I would. I, it's almost more distracting for me. And again, being totally entitled, it's almost more instra- distracting to me that this random character is named Betty Brandt. So speaking of our our personal you know feelings about continuity, let's talk about Headcanon, and this is. I think, tell me if you are sort of working from the same assumption, but like the definition would be sort of like a personal belief that you have as a fan and that's things that are not like explicitly stated in the text, but, and are not officially true, but like you sort of believe to be true in your own head or you use that as an explanation for something.
1: Yes, and also I think um, being able to discount certain stories is not
0: canon. Yeah, that's a big point because there's because there's, there's tons of stuff that like just doesn't match up. And on the personal level, you go, well, like I don't believe Doctor Doom when he says that or something, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like. To, I mean, I I like I like to play the the headcanon game. I like to do my own little, even though I don't write in for a no prize. I like to think about the explanation for something in my head. Um. The downside for that can be that like, especially on the internet, I think you see people who have head cannons and then they get mad when something in the official continuity like contradicts the thing that only is true in your head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like especially with like you know, you see a lot with like shipping and like romantic entanglements of like, I believe that these two characters belong together. And so if you have two different characters, you are like this is a personal affront to me.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I think it's certainly in cases where it's not an issue of just wanting more representation, but just like your own preference about character x and character z and they have to be together right yeah
0: and and it is and it is difficult because like there are a lot of captain america and bucky stuff or you know Steve and bucky stuff that is like driven by like there are people who want more more representation here and so i understand like yes of course if you're not giving some given something you take these things maybe where you where you can and again i'm not the person exactly to be to be speaking about this from my own experience but like I, i i understand that right and I think that applies to any any kind of relationships or or story points uh, that you strongly believe in. Mm-hmm. So, uh, my sort of headcanon thing, and like sort of you were talking about, where, like where you draw your own lines about like where you discount things. For for me personally, I like to think of like the quote unquote Marvel universe as ending in two thousand one. This is my <laughs> this is my this is my grand theory here. So I feel like back in like the the 20th, I guess I can say the 20th century, right? Mm -hmm. The Marvel universe was like this sort of fictional idea that like you can pretend that 40 years of stories are all that one unbroken, internally consistent tapestry of events. And it wasn't, of course, because it was different people just making stuff up as they went along. But you sort of play the game. And the rule was that it started at Fantastic Four number one in 1961 and everything after that is real. And you could incorporate golden age stuff Later on, but it was still, like, that stuff was sort of optional, where it's, like, everything since Fantastic Four number one that has to be in there. And then um, around 2000, Joe K. Sada and Bill Jameis take over Marvel, and they, like, actively deprioritized continuity, and, like, they didn't want those, like, editorial boxes saying, see this issue that you didn't read. Hmm. And so you get stuff like Grant Morrison's new X-Men, where there's no transition from what had been going on in X-Men in the 90s to you know anything else there's no like buildup it's just like all of a sudden overnight between issues like they're wearing leather jackets and they the beast is a cat man and you know all huh. all this stuff right like there yeah. there's no like buildup into that it was just like overnight we're not going to worry about whether this contradicts stuff and like at the time i think that was absolutely the right choice because x-men continuity had gotten so complicated in the 90s and that would have just been like I, I love Graham morrison's new x-men and so I'm glad that I didn't have to like sit through six months of like setting up dominoes. We could just get right, right into the main thing. But it does mean that like once you say that, like once you have this game of like everything counts, and you say this one doesn't isn't going to care about that, it becomes difficult to like pick that back up later on when they sort of have moved back towards it's all one continuity. And so like as a yeah. as a result, like like I was seeing with Aunt May, like I find it hard to believe that Aunt May, who is you know wear your galoshes. And eat your wheat cakes is the same person who like you know running a, uh, you know like a homeless shelter and yeah, I even things that I like in mar- modern comics like Mark Wade's Daredevil or Immortal Hulk I really liked. I read them like as sort of as their own thing and not like Hulk and Immortal Hulk. I don't necessarily think like this is the exact same guy that I read in you know nineteen ninety six and nineteen eighty six and nineteen seventy six. You know yeah, or like um the Illuminati storyline it's hard like I, even if i read that i can't like go back to the end of this creee Cree scroll war and be like oh, okay well i totally believe that this happened that that fits in there i just i just I, you know wow. i sort of don't <laughs> but that's but, but again this is all like this has actually been healthy for me <laughs> mm-hmm. in a way because it means that like if you re- if we remember when dan slot appeared to kill off peter parker when doctor octopus was in his body and stuff like he got yeah. like death threats and stuff Right. You know, and like that sort of like, I can't believe we like, how dare you do this to Peter Parker? And like, because I had sort of cordoned off this period in my head, I was like, I don't, you know, this isn't a story that I would want to read, but like, go ahead. And this, I don't believe that this is destroying, you know, 40 years of comics that I like or anything. Mm-hmm. So I think as, as much as this sounds like sort of an entitled, like gatekeeping, like you, nothing after, you know, 2001 or so counts. I actually just think, like, for my own little like internal peace of mind, I can corn that off and be like, "I'm glad that you like this story," and even I like these some yeah. the stories, right? But I'm not going to worry about whether or not it fits with Amazing Spider-Man number three hundred seven from nineteen ninety eight or nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, I think I
1: think that is that does sound like a healthier way to deal <laughs> with with things. And as you noted, it does have that kind of fun Sherlockian. element too where you're deciphering the clues or you're you're making your own connections and explaining other connections or the lack of other connections and i I think even just doing that with individual runs is is something where if a writer has an excellent series of stories about a character it's like that'll be more canon to me than something that's just not working or mediocre where. Uh, If I had to just have my own timeline of this character's life, it's going to include those periods and not so much the other stuff. Uh, Mm. I I do think there is some value in being open, uh, more tying into that approach than the approach you mentioned, where you can come to terms with the idea that a bad story happened in a character's life or in a character's narrative, Mm -hmm. where... It was just an embarrassing uh, storyline or the maybe it just wasn't well executed or it just wasn't what you wanted from the character where, you know, maybe I didn't really like my X-Men comics when they go to Ireland and encounter leprechauns, like, <laughs> I like my X-Men comics more serious and operatic really. But at the same time, that was the creator's choice and I may not have agreed with that that direction but i think it's also part of the character's history on some <laughs> level so it's I, I i'm i go back and forth on head Mm-hmm.
0: so setting aside your rabid anti-leprechaun agenda <laughs> i guess the, the sort of summing up getting in that direction sort of question is like what should we do about continuity in canon? and canon we used i think we, just, we were starting to get there about like we sort of have to have our own little for our own peace of mind, like, our own, like, we're going to accept these things and not worry too much about these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, on sort of a broader organizational level, you can reboot periodically, right? And that works, right? Because, like, Ultimate Spider-Man was very popular. It's the only the yeah. only uh, comic that my brother Zach ever, like, really loved before before Daredevil. Yeah. But, I mean, one of the problems is that you do end up telling the same stories over and over again. Like, you, the joke about what happened to Bruce Wayne's parents. I, mean, I hope you see that in the... <laughs> in a new movie, right? Yeah. Or like even, you know, in like comics and stuff, they've rebooted Superman so many times that like he has met, quote unquote, Brainiac so many times. Mm-hmm. And like every every time you reboot, theoretically, it's like, well, we got to introduce all these elements, you know, that are part of the canon. Right. You'll also get like sort of what happens to the ultimate or what happened to the ultimate line eventually that where like your new continuity eventually becomes as complex as the old stuff and like, you know, in a fraction of the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't you know. I don't know what's to be to be done about that because either you just you start fresh and then in five years time that's also complicated, or you just reboot every couple of years and then you're just repeating stuff over and over and you never get anywhere. I don't. I don't. I don't know what the the solution would be there.
1: Yeah, it's definitely tricky because I think you've got financial realities that you have to meet. Where you know if you get rid of Batman's continuity and you have. Most of your readers maybe are, are people who have been reading comics for 30 years. Mm-hmm. That's going to alienate them. Um, I don't know if you could sustain... Like, my ideal approach from a creative perspective would be doing an ultimate style version of the character and then just maybe redoing that every 5, 10 years mm-hmm. um, alongside the the existing continuity. I, I do agree that you, you would have repetition of of sort of this, you know, the origin stories or first encounters with villains. But I think that's something that we're kind of used to as a culture, Mm -hmm. whether it's movies or, you know, every animated version of Spider-Man or whatever, it's basically starting fresh. And if a younger generation is going to get into that, or just somebody who likes the movies and doesn't want to wade through 60 years of continuity, uh, can get into those comics, and then I think that's good. But certainly it's – I don't know how feasible that is from a financial perspective. I, I didn't think it was – I think it was a weird approach to take the uh, ultimate universe and I guess merge it. Although it, I guess they wanted to keep Miles Morales's backstory, so I can see that. But the whole making it part of the multiverse seems like adding more complexity. <laughs> right which yeah. is
0: kind of comics M.O. overall <laughs> yeah or like you have um, Spider-Gwen which is not it's not something that that I read a lot of but I know it's, it's very popular but it's like mm-hmm. now to, to get that into like to exist within this like whole Marvel mainstream continuity framework it's so complicated mm-hmm. it goes it goes back to like or like as from like from a business perspective right it would be healthier if we had new people coming in all the time And part of it is just like, you know, print his dad or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever Ghostbusters quote you want to put in there. But the people who are actually buying these things, like, you know, month after month, spending hundreds of dollars are people who are, you know, adults with disposable income and they do tend to be, you know, I mean, I am a straight white, you know, cis guy. Things shouldn't be catered to me necessarily. That wouldn't be, it would be healthier if they weren't, but they are. Right. So like, I am, I'm, I'm acutely aware of being the problem right <laughs> i
1: think it's uh it's there's got to be a better way way to, <laughs> to bring in some of those fan favorite characters then and, and make their stories i don't know fold them into the mcu or, or the the comics universe rather yeah. than all this multiversal stuff which seems like it would deter new readers but maybe that's that's me making assumptions
0: yeah i don't know cuz like yeah there's so many like there's so many stories now that are, you know, what if, like, there's Spider-Gwen, there's some of those, like, Spider-Verse characters and stuff. Maybe that's the way that things yeah. are going to go from now on of just, like, maybe continuity will fall away over time. And it will just be, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you like Captain Carter, the Peggy Carter being Captain, you know, the getting the super soldiers from or whatever that is, maybe that's. Yeah. It, it probably would be healthier for, like, that to be the model than to try to, like, try to, to lure me in. Every month, and I don't, I don't buy new comics anyway. So like they're, yeah, they're they're they're, they're missing they're missing a trick there because like they're pitching all this stuff to me, and I'm like, well, I if you're gonna pitch stuff to me, I want things exactly the way that I remember them <laughs> from the '80s or the '90s or something. And so I, you're not gonna make me happy anyway. I am a lost cause. <laughs> I am I am fully my my I'm fully saying like DCMR will like give up on me because <laughs> at this at this point there there's so many back issues that I don't own. But I just I just go out and buy anyway. Yeah. So please focus on somebody, you know. Please focus on like my kids or or somebody. <laughs>
1: but, yeah. yeah. Don't feel like you need to destroy the universe or have a massive crossover just to explain why Spider Gwen shows up. Just be <laughs> like, oh yeah, here's a uh, right. here's this character that is beloved and looks
0: really cool and uh, might lure in new readers. So she's in the Marvel universe now. Right. Maybe that's enough. <laughs> so to sort of sum up, I found three quotes from uh, some prominent comics writers sharing different uh, opinions about continuity. Peter David said, A shared universe, like any fictional construct, hinges on suspension of disbelief. When a continuity is tossed away, it tatters the construct, undermines it. That's That sounds serious. That's a very pro-continuity yeah. is important. Um, Matt Fraction, a more contemporary writer, says... Continuity is the devil. (laughs) It's it's all just trivia. You read in one comic that he doesn't like ham sandwiches and in another he does. Who cares? That's just trivia and doesn't matter to the character overall. Mm. They're very opposite. (laughs) Peter David. And then uh, Walt Simonson, I found a a quote from him. And I think I've heard this attributed to other people as well. So I don't know if this is original from him. But he says, for me, continuity is a good servant, but a poor master. And so that's sort of a middle ground of like continuity is neat when you can make it work, but yep. it's bad to write for continuity first. So I don't know which, which one of these – I think I know which one of these is maybe more tending towards towards your side of the debate. But
1: Yeah, I, I like the, the Walt Simonson quote uh, where, again, you can use those tools and the – or you can use those toys in the, the sandbox to play around with. But then when you want to do something different, you can – you can do that
0: and not have to worry. Well, I feel, I feel cleansed <laughs> of, a lot of, my, of a lot of, I've been, I've been holding on to the infinity gems, infinity stones thing for, for mm-hmm. several, several years. It's been a constant, and I, a constant draw on my memory. And now I feel like I've, I can grow as a person, much like Peter Parker yeah. ought to be allowed to, <laughs> but he's, mm-hmm. but I'll probably just be, you know, a new writer will come along and in six months I'll be. Complaining about the same old <laughs> stories again. So yeah, this this episode is non canonical. <laughs> right. This will be this will be retconned at any at any moment as soon as the uh, the film version of this podcast takes off. Well, Ryan, thanks for coming back. Thanks for wanting to have this conversation. Thanks for having me. Um, if you enjoyed this, if you enjoyed this sort of thing, email me at indefensibleinc at gmail.com. Um, Ryan is freed from the obligation of. I <laughs> love looking at this stuff, but I will I will pass along anything that you might want to want me to pass along on Twitter and Instagram at, at Indefensible Inc. Uh, but until next time, I have been Justin Zydock. And I've been Brian McClure. And uh, have a good night. Bye